so we've been, we've been in this series, Don't Move the Lampstand. And uh, for the first five weeks, we saw what uh, the church looks like when uh, the lampstand's staying in place. If you haven't been with us, basically um, in Exodus, uh, there's a description of the, the tent of meeting where uh, Moses and then the priests would meet with God. And it's described that there's a, um, there's a table with uh, the bread of the presence and with wine. And, and then across from the table, there's a lampstand, a menorah. Um, and the lampstand, the job is to kind of reflect off of the back of the tent and then and shine light on the, the bread and the wine to make that kind of the focus of um, the worship that the priest would uh, offer up to God. And we saw that in the New Testament, uh, the New Testament authors, they associate this lampstand with the church. So in Revelation, um, the seven churches, the seven lampstands are illuminating Jesus. They're shining the light on Jesus. And what we've been looking at is, is well, if you do that, if, if your focus is on illuminating, praising, glorifying, if you're worshiping Jesus and Jesus is the, is the center, then amazing things happen at the church. And so for the first five weeks, we kind of looked at what happens in the church when the lamb stands, like, when we're, when we're illuminating Jesus. Last week and this week, we're looking at what happens when the lamb stand gets moved. When the light stops shining on Jesus and other stuff starts to take place, other stuff starts to happen, and it's not great for the church. So I'd love it if you'd join me as we read uh, the text for today. This is from Acts 6. And you might initially disagree. You might think that this is a good thing, but I, I'm going I'm to suggest to you that, that this text is showing that something is very wrong in the church. About that time, while the number of disciples in- continued to increase, a complaint arose. Greek-speaking disciples accused the Amer- Aramaic-speaking disciples because their widows were being overlooked in the daily food service. The twelve, that's the apostles of Jesus, the ones who, the, who were closest to Jesus, they called the meeting of all the disciples and said, it's not pleasing for us to set aside proclamation of God's word in order to serve tables. Brothers, carefully choose seven well-respected men from among you. They must be well-respected and endowed by the Spirit with exceptional wisdom. We'll put them in charge of this concern. And, and as for us, well, we'll devote ourselves to prayer and, and, and the service of proclaiming the word. This proposal pleased the entire community. They selected Stephen, a man endowed by the Holy Spirit with exceptional faith, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicolaus from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. The community presented these seven to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. My contention is that uh, starting in Acts 4, uh, cracks are building in the church. We're, we're seeing that the church, uh, part of it's because of growth. Like in, in all these texts, it keeps saying more and more people are coming. And that's a good thing, right? Well, it can be, but it can also be dangerous. Because things, we might, we might get so excited about, you know, people showing up or all the neat things that are happening that we lose contact with this. And I think that's what's happening here. So first, let's just look closer at the text and, and see if that really is kind of playing out here. First, notice that, the, that there's, there's two groups, right? There's the Greek-speaking disciples and the Aramaic-speaking disciples. Now, what does that mean? It means that the church is, uh, is built up of basically two groups at this point. Foreigners, 
That's people who speak Greek and Israelites, people who are from the nation of Israel. And those people speak Aramaic in the ancient world. Uh, if you didn't know, in the ancient world, Greek was kind of like English, right? No matter where you go in the world right now, you can find people who speak English. It's the lingua franca. Well, in the ancient world, the time of Jesus, Greek was the same way. Everybody spoke Greek. And so all these people from around the world, whether or not Greek is their first language, at least it's their second. And they come and they're, and they're part of this Jerusalem community. And there's obviously tension. There's two groups, right? There's the Greek speakers and then the ones who are true Israelites, people from the land who speak the local dialect, Aramaic, which is kind of a, uh, a it's very cr- closely related to classical Hebrew, but it's more of like a, it's for more for conversation. We haven't, uh, we haven't talked about this yet, um, but a lot of us, we're pretty bummed about a month ago when, after church, we found out that Kobe died. Um, you know, growing up, Kobe was, was the man. But it wasn't just Kobe in the beginning. It was Kobe and Shaq. All right, Kobe and Shaq. Uh, man, that's, that's a picture from the glory days. For those of you who don't know, um, you're probably not from California. Or if you are, you're a bad Californian, which is fine. Uh, but in... The Lakers are obviously the greatest basketball team uh, that's ever been composed anywhere. And, uh, and, and, and the, one of the highlights in the, in Lakers history was the three-peat of 2000 to 2001 and 2002 when Shaq and Kobe led the Lakers to three consecutive championships, enshrining that team as one of the all-time greats. Uh, after Shaq left, Kobe went on to pick up two more championships and is uh, just behind Jordan for all-time, you know, championship winningest player. In the NBA history. But it was interesting for those of us who were here, you know, and, and we're, it was part of our life, you know, the, the, it's, it's LA, it's showtime, so there's a lot of media focus on the Lakers. And so we were aware the entire time that the relationship between Shaq and Kobe was fraught. Okay, Kobe joined the league at 18 years old. He didn't go to college at all. He came in, he was a phenom. He thought that he could make any shot no matter where it was on the, on the court. And he, and he believed in himself so much that he took like one trillion shots every single game. And Shaq, at the time, was the most dominant player in the NBA. And he came over to the Lakers to start his rap career and his movie career and maybe win some championships while he was doing it. And so the two of them, they, they brought two different philosophies to the game. Shaq was a fun-loving, you know, happy-go-lucky dude who just wanted to, you know, what was it, Shazam? Was that the movie he was in? Kazam? Did you guys remember that? I, wow. I mean, what the 90s. What, what a crazy, crazy time that was. Uh, and then they both wanted to get their rap careers going. Uh, Gentry, is Gentry here? Okay, so Kobe released one of what's considered one of the all-time worst rap tracks in the history of rap. And at the time, Gentry was kind of in the music industry, and so um, the studio sent him a copy of it to try and remix it to make it better. But it was so bad that not even Gentry's magic could save Kobe's rap track. You can ask him about it. He's writing a book about it. Um, and yet, Despite the fraughtness of the relationship, there were times when everything was perfect. And it was the times where the Lakers were focused on the championship, right? When Shaq, you know, got out of showbiz mode and was like, we need to win the championship. And Kobe, like, he was like a robot. He was super determined to win. When he would be like, okay, fine, Shaq, I admit you did a good job, right? And when that stuff, when that happened, when they clicked, the Shaq and Kobe Lakers became one of the most legendary combinations in all of basketball history. 
in a way, the championship was sort of like, uh, was sort of like this right here. As long as they were focused on, on, on that one thing, there was no division. There was no Shaq and Kobe. It was just the Lakers. But as soon as they took their eyes off the championship, they got caught up in all of the, the nonsense, got caught up in, in, in the media and, and the glitz and the glam, the, the, they, they moved the lamps and it became Team Shaq and Team Kobe. In fact, there was even, there were, there were news stories about who was selling the most jerseys, Kobe or Shaq, during this time. And that bothered Shaq because Kobe sold more jerseys. Did you notice that the text that we have is almost exactly the same? There's the Greek-speaking, you know, uh, uh, foreigners. They're brand new. They're like Kobe. They just came into the league. They're like, oh, man, we're, we're going we're gonna to blow everything up. We're awesome. We're so excited. And then there's the, the Aramaic, the long term. They've been there since the beginning, kind of like Shaq. You know, they've dominated the league. And, and, there's, and, and they see themselves as two separate groups, right? Notice it's that they're widows. The Greek, the Greek people are like, our widows aren't getting fed. What about just the widows. What happened there? Why is it that there's some division? Why do, why do we even make this distinction to begin with? If you're paying attention to the way Luke tells the story, he's very much at the beginning, he's like, they were one people. They shared everything in common. They were totally... He never talks about two different groups until right now. Suddenly, the Greek speakers are looking at the Aramaic speakers like, eh, and then they're worried about their widows and there's a problem. When you move the lampstand, when you stop focusing on the championship, you stop being the Lakers, you start being Team Kobe and Team Shaq. When you move the lampstand and you stop focusing on illuminating Jesus, you stop being the church and you start being the Greek speakers and the Aramaic speakers, the old and the new. And then somebody gets overlooked, someone gets ignored. That's the first thing in your note sheets. Uh, when the lampstand gets moved, the church divides into factions instead of maintaining unity. The church stops thinking of itself as, as Coast Bible Church and starts thinking about itself as, well, this is my group in the church, and that's their group in the church. And, and you know, we know each other, and we you know, kind of try to get along, but they're different than us. They haven't been here since the beginning. They don't know what's going on. They're stuck in their old ways. They can't see the new things that are happening. What's wrong with them? So the apostles are going to take care of business. The apostles are are ready to do some problem solving. Let's go back to the text. The twelve called a meeting. I got all the disciples, all the people who want to follow Jesus, Greek speaking, Aramaic speaking, that it's not pleasing for us to set aside proclamation of God's word in order to serve tables? Ah. Is that true? I, you know, Luke is very subtle here. He's not, he doesn't want to call out the apostles. But I think, and I, and I, I want to I show this to you, I think that he is really making a case here. The apostles have missed, the, they, they've, they've missed it. They're, they've gone a little bit off the rails here. And doesn't it kind of sound that way? Like, like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's not pleasing. It's not fun for us to, to set aside, you know, being in the spotlight and having people adore us so that we can, what, feed the hungry? <laughs> we knew Jesus, man. Are you serious? Like, come on. 
sort of like millennials. I, uh, I'm a millennial. I, I speak millennial. Um, but I also speak uh, Gen X boomer, so I can translate. Um, this is, uh, I have a picture here of a millennial. What? Whoa, whoa, whoa. First, first off, the fact that he's even at work at 9.30 is kind of, kind of impressive. Like, good job, man. I roll into the office at 10, usually. Uh, that's, and I, I, it's difficult to explain to Gen Xers and boomers. Um, but I think, I think the big problem is, is that you, and maybe it's just because you're old, but you don't know how awesome we really are. You don't, you don't get it. You think your kids are super awesome, and so you protect them and coddle them. But the rest of us, you don't, you don't get how great we are. If you could step into our minds and just see how we see the world and, and just the interesting, creative, amazing thoughts we have, you'd recognize that we really don't need to be there on time. We need to do what we do, okay? Because what we do is more important than what you do. And yes, you should be paying us to do that. That's your job. That's why you're here. We're here to follow our hearts, and you're here to fund that. Okay? Millennials! Millennials everywhere! This is the the meme classic from Toy Story. I think that we, I think that in the text, I think the apostles get a little bit millennial here. They're like, waiting tables? We knew Jesus, man. That's like, that's like, millennials. like, uh, I graduated from college, okay? I studied sociology, all right? I don't think, I don't, I don't belong behind the bar as a barista, okay? I have incredible things that I've thought about, okay? I went to Brown, okay? Like, I don't know if you know, but that's Ivy League, son. And the, and the language that the language that Luke uses is really subtle here. He uses the word service, um, and 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 there's two different. There's the noun form and the verb form. Uh, they're both they both sound like diaconia or diakeo, diakeo. Um, but but they both mean they can mean everything from like ministry to literally waiting tables. And so the word gets dropped a few times. Um, is, is, what's the next slide? Is it? Okay. Yeah, right here, the service. So, so this is what they say. They're like, they're like, uh, okay, look, yeah, you guys, um, go, go find someone to, I don't know, feed whoever needs to be fed. Uh, we have more important things to do. What is it? Uh, as for us, we will devote ourselves to prayer and the service of, pro- of proclaiming the word. This is that same word. So the apostles are like, oh, you're doing the, the actual waiting table service. We're doing a different kind of service, a better service, a less backbreaking service, a more fun service. I mean, isn't that kind of how leadership goes, right? Especially when you bring a lot of people in, right? There's a lot more people. And so it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I need some distance between me and the, the hoi polloi here. Okay, I, I don't know if you noticed, but um, I got to talk, okay? And that's a big deal. So do you see that show Undercover Boss? It's been on for 10 years, apparently, Undercover Boss. I've never seen it. I don't watch TV or reality TV, but I've read a lot of articles about it. 
If you haven't seen it, the uh, undercover boss, the, it's, it's sort of like the prince and the pauper. It's, uh, it's the, the conceit of the show is that there's this like major, you know, upper management corporate CEO type guy. And he like puts on a wig and he goes and he works with like the blue collar folks for like a week or something. And then he gets to know them and know their struggles. Right? And then, and then at the end, he reveals that, oh no, I've been the boss the whole time. But now I've got a deeper, deeper appreciation for the backbreaking labor that you have to do. And you, Sally, I'm gonna pay for your kids to go to college. And, and you, Billy, I'm gonna make sure that you get more time off because I'm a really good guy. Also, I'm getting the heck out of here and going back to my cushy office. I, apparently the show is very heartwarming, but I think that if I were watching, I think I'd be a little bit like, Ooh. isn't this kind of like propaganda? Like, like the under, the boss gets to look like this really fantastic dude. You know, he, oh, he's with the people and then he's gone, but we think he's a great guy. If you're not convinced, you think it's too subtle, we'll listen to what Luke said. Uh, when he records the words of Jesus. This is in Luke 22. Remember, Luke wrote, writes Luke and Acts, and so he records the words of Jesus, and this is what Jesus said to the disciples, the apostles. He says, but Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles, the Greek speakers, rule over their subjects, and those in authority are called friends of the people. This is sarcasm. Like, oh, we're friends of the people. Uh, you might get translated uh, benefactor or servants of the people, right? But really, they're, they're just on top of them, like making them do all kinds of terrible things. They're never down with them. But that's not the way it's going to be with you guys, right? Instead, the greatest among you must become like a person of low status. The leader becomes like a servant. And that's that word again, diaconia, servant. So which one is greater? The one, he literally uses the example of waiting at table. Which one is greater, the one who's seated at the table or the one who serves at the table? Isn't it the one who's seated? Ah, but wait, I am among one of you, uh, I'm among you as one who serves. Jesus literally uses the metaphor of like, I'm going to be waiting tables for you guys. And that's what I expect from you. Isn't that weird, though? Isn't it weird that, that churches look just like the world? Where the people at top, on top, what do they do? Cash a paycheck. Delegate. I'm a delegator, right? Do they ever get their hands dirty? Do they even know the people anymore? Or do they come down for a week and empathize, and then go back up top into the office with their cushy leather chair. Well, I think that what Luke is subtly saying is I think he's saying that when the lampstand gets moved, this is the next thing in your note sheets, when the lampstand gets moved, church leaders stop serving and start getting served. And it's not just leader guys like me. It's anyone in the church who's been there for a long time, who has influence, power, Elders, uh, teachers, people with money a lot of times. It's, it's the people who can get things done. It's the people who are on top. Those people, at a certain point, are in danger of stopping getting their hands dirty and leaving that work for the new guys. 
But then look, look at look at how the the text keeps going. Look at so Luke. So Luke, I think, is is very subtly, but I think very strongly rebuking the notion of the apostles. And then he tells he tells what happens. All right. So this proposal pleased the entire community. One thing I want you to notice uh, that sounds really good, right? Oh, everyone's happy about it. In Acts 15, which is the only other time Jerusalem really shows up in Acts, but we'll talk about that in a second, um, there's a Jerusalem council, and they come together, and they pray, and, they, and, they, and then uh, they write a letter, and it says, the Holy, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and us to do X, Y, and Z. Th- this decision that we've made pleased the Holy Spirit and the community. Notice that the only place the Holy Spirit is in this text is with Stephen. So the, the community is pleased, but it's like they crunched the numbers, they made a good decision, the church moves on, great, great, great. But where's the Spirit at? Not with the apostles. Now oh, the Spirit is with Stephen. And Philip, and Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicolaus. You know what all those names have in common? They're Greek. That's right. These people aren't Jewish or at least not ethnically Jewish. These are the new guys, the foreigners. They've kind of cruised into the community, and they're pumped, they're excited. They think that God's active, and the apostles are like, oh, yeah, fresh meat, good, good. You can take this off my plate. Thanks, friend. I mean, Luke even goes out of his way with Nicolaus to say, from Antioch, a convert to Judaism, these are Gentiles, in the church, but now they're the ones that are actually doing the service, actually doing the work. What's fascinating, if you keep reading in Acts, so this is Acts 6, if, immediately after this, Stephen becomes like the hero of the story until he's martyred. And, what, and when he's a hero, because he proclaims the truth. Oops. He proclaims the truth. He's the one who starts shining the light on Jesus. And then he gets killed for it. Right after that, Philip becomes the hero of the story. He goes out and he meets the Ethiopian eunuch and he spreads the gospel to, to Africa. Okay? And then after that, it's Paul. Jerusalem and the apostles, they disappear from the story. Because they're not interested in this. I mean, they say they are. They, they're like, oh, we need to proclaim the word of faith. Yeah, okay, I get that, but, but what happened to being with the people? What happened to serving? And I think what Luke does, because Luke is very, very intentional, he's very attentive to the way that people act. It's not what you say, it's what you do. And he sees Stephen as the guy who's doing it. And so then he tells us what he said. He sees Philip as the guy who's doing it and tells us what he said. And in a sense, like the, the Jerusalem church kind of ceases to be relevant. Because the Jerusalem church, it's, now it's divided. It's attracted all kinds of wolves. The leaders ha- aren't serving anymore. They've moved the lampstand. But what Luke is telling us is that even though, you know, Peter and James and the guys who knew Jesus got a little bit full of themselves, and maybe they stopped doing what they were supposed to be doing, and, and, and they lost that opportunity, they missed out in some respects for a while, even though that happens, it's okay. Because they may be gone, 
But Stephen and Philip and Nicanor and Timon. are still at it. The sad truth is um, there are churches that stop. They move the lampstand. They give up. But you know something? God doesn't need Coast Bible Church to do anything. God wants Coast Bible Church to do something, but he doesn't need us to. And the funny thing about God is that if he sees us moving the lampstand away and failing to do what we've been called to do, he's just going to find another lampstand. The work that he set up for us to do, to glorify his son, to proclaim his name, to bring new people in, to rescue, to baptize, all that stuff. You know what? If we're not going to do it, that's okay. God's going to find another church to do it. And for all of eternity, we get to be like, oh man, we missed that opportunity. That's the next thing in your note sheets. When the lampstand gets moved, God finds another lampstand. And that's a sobering, scary thought. It has nothing to do with heaven and hell, by the way. I mean, if we, if we as a church decide to just you know serve ourselves and hang out and have a good club together. And By the way, uh, we got uh, Knott's uh, season passes. If you guys want to go to Knott's with us, we would love to have you. You have Knott's season passes? Yeah, they're super cheap. You know, we wanted to do Disneyland, but we're like, oh, 3,500? Uh, I don't know. And then, and then Knott's was like 800. We're like, oh! It does take six minutes more to get there from here. But I think that's the sacrifice we're willing to make. But if that's what we want to make our lives about is just going to knots and, you know, and just having a good time. God, this, God's not going to send us to hell. But we are going to spend the rest of eternity going, wow. He offered us the opportunity to be all about this. And we were all about us. And then we're going to get to see the people, the next lampstand, the lampstand that showed up. And we're going to get to see them in eternity. Glorified, set up above us. The true servants. And so it's a sobering reminder. It's a scary fact. It's real. There are real consequences here. That, you know, we do not want to be the Jerusalem church. We want to be Stephen. We want to be Paul. We want to be Philip. And so we have a couple questions to ask ourselves, and, and here they are. Number one, are we a united congregation, or do we have discernible factions? Um, I think we're probably in the, in the B-plus range here. Uh, but I do think that there is a little Shaq Kobe going on. If I'm being very brutally honest, and I've been telling anyone who will listen that this is what I think, on any given Sunday in 2020, about 50% of the people here have been here for 10 years or more. And about 50% of the people who are here have been here for three years or less. Which is a very interesting congregational makeup. We're not divided in terms of old and young. We're, we're very, we're not divided in terms of socioeconomic. We, we have a lot of diversity there. The, the division that we have is people who've been at Coast for a thousand years and the people who've been at Coast for three or less. I don't think that we're mad at each other. I think that we're all, we all like each other, but maybe we don't really know each other super well. And I wonder, there might be, and I'm just spitballing her, there might be a little bit of the, the Shaq people being like, oh, 
cool, glad you came to the party. I got some, some work I need you to get done because uh, I got to go proclaim the word. You know how it is. I, I, I have a different service. My service is, well, a lot easier and less time-consuming. Maybe, I don't know, I'm just throwing it out there. Number two, if we have such a division, how can it be overcome? Well, I, uh, I'm happy to announce that uh, the elders have commanded the return of salt and pepper dinners. For those of you who don't know, a salt and pepper dinner is a long-standing tradition at Coast Bible Church where, uh, and Bonnie Livingston's going to put it together for us. I'm very excited about that. Uh, she's going to get a team together. Christy, maybe, maybe Dee. Dee, are you interested? You want to get in the game? All right, you get off the sidelines, get in the game. It's awesome. Um, and, and what we do is we, we ask people in the church to host, host a meal. And then we have like two or three couples, four couples come to your house and eat with you. People that, some that you know, some that you don't. And it, you know, at the beginning it's a little awkward. And then it gets less awkward and pretty soon by the end of the night, you're close to people that you've never been close to before. That's one thing. Uh, men's pre- pancake breakfast, as much as I'm not super interested in pancakes, I am super interested in hanging out with you guys. So that's a big thing. Women's ministry, they're doing monthly events now. The kickoff is, is it next Sunday? Next Sunday, get a vision for what's happening, women's ministry. And hey, if you've been here for a thousand years and you're like, I don't need to know more women, you're probably right. But the people who have been here for three years or less could really get to, they could use some new friends. So I know you're bored. You're like, I don't, I want to go to, I want to go to TGI Fridays. I want to, I want to have, you know, the, the bottomless fries. That's what I want to do. I get that. But it would be really cool if you go to the bar instead. Is there food? There's, is it better than TGI Fridays or not as good? It's infinitely better. TJ Fr- Fridays is... What's that? I think so. We, we haven't... The thing is, I have an 18-month-old, so we haven't been out to eat in over two years. So, so I don't know. But there might be a TJ Friday somewhere. There is it, Knott's Berry Farm. Exactly. Awesome. Glad we're all paying attention to the sermon. That's fantastic. All right, number three. Number three. Are our leaders servants? <laughs> what does service look? I'll be honest. I hate work. I do. And I feel like maybe some of the other people who've been here for a thousand years and have influenced you too. And that's okay. That's fine. We, we're all human. I get it. But. Instead of calling ourselves leaders, if we want to be able to call ourselves disciples and say, no, we're still following Jesus. Well, Jesus said, the one who has more honor is not the one seated at the table, but the one who is waiting the table. And if we want to continue being disciples, we got to get our hands dirty. The good news, uh, friends, I mean, you know, this is like a, one of those beat the sheep sermons, like, stop sucking, you know, like, that's like the, well, I mean, I don't intend it that way, but sometimes it can feel that way. I get it. I mean, I, but here, here's the, here's the good news. Number one, we don't suck. Um, 
I still believe that this church uh, is unique. Absolutely unreal how this church is. That the, the people who come here, you know, for years afterwards, they, they look back and they say, that's my home. Even if they have to move away, they, they always, when they come and visit Southern California, they always show up here. Have you noticed that? It's a weird thing. People who leave our church, they, they come back and they always show up on Sunday and they, they check in and see because we do have a community here that is really powerful, really formative, really intentional. And in 2020, we have this super great opportunity to, to double down on that and to really re-embrace our identity as a united, serving, Jesus-focused, Jesus-illuminating, land-stand-not-moving congregation. And if that's of interest to you, I invite you to come back next week. We're going to finish up the series, and we're going to talk about what we can do in our daily life to make sure we never move the lampstand. Let's pray. Gracious God, we, um, we confess that it's all about you. It's all about you, Father, Son, and Spirit, three in one the loving Father who sends the, sp- the Son and the power of the Spirit to redeem the world. The Son whose glorification at the resurrection shines back on the Father through the Spirit in glory and might and honor and majesty. God, may we be a people who just keep shining the light on you. May we not experience the division and factions that come from, from getting our focus off of you. May we not uh, experience leaders who, who, who no longer have the desire to serve. May we instead uh, keep our eyes on you, keep following you, keep trusting you, keep glorifying you, keep preaching you. May we never stop being people of the cross. And may we continue to receive your grace as we move forward into 2020. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.